Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life free from burnout and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa Zhang. Welcome back to another episode of the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. There's been a lot of talk about a recession recently. Opinions vary on when the recession is coming, and some believe that the recession is already here. What defines a recession? If you Google definition of a recession, the dictionary definition that comes up is, quote, a period of temporary economic decline during which trade and industrial activity are reduced, generally identified by the fall in GDP in two successive quarters, end quote. The GDP stands for Gross Domestic Product, which is the total monetary value of all the goods and services produced within a country's borders in a specific time period. It is used to provide an economic snapshot of a country. There are three different methods to calculate the GDP, which should all give the same figure if correctly calculated. What's called the real GDP also accounts for inflation. The GDP for the United States did decline in the first and second quarter of 2022, but actually increased at an annual rate of 2.6% in the third quarter. So where does that leave us? The White House actually published an article on whitehouse.gov on July 21st, 2022, entitled, How Do Economists Determine Whether the Economy Is in a Recession? The article starts off with acknowledging the definition of two consecutive quarters of falling real GDP as constituting a recession. But then it goes on to state that it is not the official definition or how economists evaluate for recessions. The article instead states that economists take a holistic look at the labor market, consumer and business spending, industrial production, and incomes when determining a recession. The official recession scorekeeper is the National Bureau of Economic Research Business Cycle Dating Committee, who defines a recession as, quote, a significant decline in economic activity that has spread across an economy and lasts more than a few months, end quote. From the article, it states, quote, the variables the committee typically tracks include real personal income minus government transfers, employment, various forms of real consumer spending, and industrial production, end quote. Because the committee uses current numbers to determine a recession, it can't announce a recession until we are actually in one. That means that we are not technically in a recession yet, but what I can predict is that there will be a recession in the future. When in the future? I don't know. But recessions are part of the business cycle. We have periods of expansion followed by periods of recession. Our last recession started in February 2020, which ended an expansion period of 128 months, which is the longest expansion in U.S. history dating back to 1854. And that last recession lasted for only two months, ending in April 2020, and was announced after it was already over. Before that, we had what is often called the Great Recession, which lasted from December 2007 to June 2009. Between now and all the recessions from the one that ended in November 1982, we've had long periods of expansions with only four recessions in close to 40 years. And as I just said, one of those recessions only lasted two months. Between 1942 and 1982, there were nine recessions, in a 40-year period. What causes recessions? 
Well, there are many causes to recessions. The short recession of 2020 was most likely caused by the uncertainty of the COVID pandemic. Many industries shut down as people stopped going out to avoid exposure to COVID. When there's uncertainty in the economy, businesses tend to hold off on spending and investments, leading to a decline in economic activity. Economic bubbles caused by when the price of something rises due to market trends, consumer confidence, or speculation can also lead to a recession. This happened with the housing market in 2008 and the dot-com bubble in 2000. Investors bought, hoping to earn money from price increases, but eventually the price exceeded the real value and eventually the bubble burst. Oversupply can be another cause of recession. When the economy is doing well, companies increase production to meet consumer demand. If companies grow faster than demand grows, or if demand peaks and then starts to decline, then this can lead to an excess of goods and services. As companies scale back and produce less, then economic activity declines. If this trend occurs with a large segment of the economy, this can result in a recession. Now, what does this all mean for us? No, recessions affect people differently and can have a strong impact on our life. When I look back on my life, I can see how two recessions really impacted me. The first was the recession of the time of the dot-com bust. In the late 1990s, saw massive growth in the use of internet, and investors really pumped a lot of money into internet-based startups. These companies prioritized growth over profits and getting big quickly. Back then, I can remember there were dot-com this and dot-com that, diapers.com, pets.com, everything had a dot-com after it. That was just a sure sign that a bubble was forming. And it wasn't sustainable. Every bubble will eventually burst, and this bubble burst in 2000. I started college in 1997 at the California Institute of Technology, also called Caltech. I majored in engineering and applied sciences, but I was also pre-med. I did take the MCAT and the pre-med courses required to apply for medical school, and I did volunteer at the hospital. However, I didn't actually apply to medical school my senior year of college. I graduated from Caltech in June 2001 and was job hunting during the recession that lasted from March to November of 2001. My friends who graduated the previous year had been getting six-figure or near-six-figure jobs in engineering, and some of them even went to go work for some of these dot-com companies. In contrast, I ended up working hard to secure interviews with anyone who was hiring, and I did get one engineering job offer for around $50,000. In the end, I decided to turn it down and got a job as a research assistant while I spent that year applying to medical school. Looking back on it, I think the recession actually nudged me in the direction where I ultimately decided to pursue a career in medicine. Then looking at the other time the recession affected my life was during the Great Recession. So for some people, a recession could actually be a positive thing. And in fact, I believe the Great Recession really helped me build my personal wealth. At the time of the Great Recession, which was from December 2007 to June 2009, I was in medical school and my husband was teaching in a public school system during that time. He actually is still teaching at that same public school system. Living at the time of the recession didn't actually affect us financially because our incomes didn't change. I had been investing in the stock market already at that point. I started investing in the stock market around 2005 
but it was mostly in my Roth IRA. And so I wasn't really worried about a decrease in the stock market since I didn't plan on using that money for decades. I knew that there would be plenty of time for recovery. Then I also started investing in real estate during the time of the Great Recession, which was partially due to the housing crisis. I was able to buy foreclosed homes from the bank at steep discounts, fix them up, and then sell them for a profit. I also invested more money in my retirement accounts when I became an intern in 2010, and those investments have grown significantly in the last decade. So in this case, the recession really did actually help me build my wealth because I was able to buy during a time of market correction and get stocks on sale. And so if you're a resident now or at the beginning of your medical career, having a recession now could actually be beneficial to building your wealth. I don't mean to make light of recessions. Recessions do have a negative impact on many people who lose their jobs and can't make ends meet. So what are things you can actually do to prepare for the next recession? The first is to take a good look at where you stand financially now. What is the worst case scenario and how would you get through it? If you lost your job, how long can you support yourself or your household? Where else can you generate income? Where could you turn to for help? If you had to get by on the bare minimum, what would that look like? Having a plan in place can help alleviate stress. Take a look at your emergency fund and ask yourself if it's sufficient or do you want to beef it up at this time? Where is it currently located and are you satisfied with its location? When I mean location, I mean, is it in a checking account, in a savings account? Are you using your HELOC as an emergency fund? Are you looking at your brokerage account as an emergency fund such that that money is actually located in the stock market? Or is it in bonds like I-bonds or bond funds? People do have their emergency fund located in multiple locations to try to take advantage of different rates of return. It's generally still a good idea to have at least some amount of your emergency fund in an account where you can get cash fast. I want to remind you that this is not the time to liquidate your investment portfolio, especially the portfolio in your retirement account. You don't want to sell low and capture losses unless you're doing tax loss harvesting. Money in your retirement account is for the future, and the stock market will recover. One thing you may want to do is look at how you can diversify your investments. When you buy shares of a total U.S. stock market index fund, you are instantly diversified against large cap, mid-cap, and small-cap companies in all different industries to give large diversification with a single investment. Another way to think about diversifying your investments is to invest in uncorrelated asset classes. The more investments you have in uncorrelated asset classes, the smoother the overall ride in your portfolio will be. There are cycles in every asset class where the value rises and falls. And the cycles for different asset classes may affect each other, but they are not the same or correlated to each other. The correlation number between two investments can range from minus one or total negative correlation to plus one or total positive correlation. If two investments are negatively correlated, that means that they tend to move in opposite directions. When one goes up, the other goes down. If they're positively correlated, then they tend to move in the same direction, like both will move up at the same time, or they'll both move down at the same time. When two investments go their separate ways independently of each other, then they are thought to have no correlation or a correlation of zero. 
adding bonds further diversifies an investment portfolio outside of just having a lot of stocks, even if the stocks are diversified across different industries. The correlation between stocks and bonds have been variable over the years, but they are generally considered negatively correlated, meaning that when stocks go down, bonds go up. This is generally because what drives stocks and equity investments differs from what drives bonds and debt investments. That being said, when researching for this podcast, I found one article published on August 31st, 2022, that the 200-day correlation between stocks and bonds is at 0.87, which is a strong positive correlation relationship. Another article published September 21st, 2022, stated that the correlation between stocks and bonds is at 0.5, which is a positive relationship, but not nearly as high as 0.87. When inflation is high, like our current situation, stocks and bonds tend to be more strongly correlated to each other, which is probably why that's happening right now. Another asset class to look at is real estate. Real estate is not only a good hedge against inflation, but it is also relatively uncorrelated to the stock market. Real estate investment trust, or REITs, have a correlation to the S&P 500 of approximately 0.6. Private real estate holdings are even more uncorrelated with the U.S. stock market. Gold and other precious metals also have a lower correlation to the overall market. The correlation was approximately 0.23 between 2006 and 2015. What makes gold a unique hedge in the market is that when times are good for the market, the correlation is higher, and when times are bad, the correlation is lower, making it overall a good hedge. There are three general ways you can invest in gold. You can buy gold in the form of gold coins or in bar form. This does have some costs associated with the storing of the gold, either in a safe at your home or a safety deposit box, and you'll also want to purchase insurance for the gold. In some cultures, it's common for people to buy gold jewelry as a way to store their wealth. Instead of buying gold itself, it may be easier to buy gold funds, either mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. SPDR Gold Shares, ticker symbol GLD, is an example of a gold ETF where each share represents an ounce of gold. A more advanced method of buying gold is by buying gold future options. My last recommendation is to build multiple streams of income. This way, if you lose one stream of income, you still have income coming in from other sources. Other streams of income could come from rental properties with positive cash flow, investments that pay distributions or dividends, or income from a side business. Investments that pay distributions and dividends include stocks that pay dividends, bonds that pay interest, syndications that pay distributions, debt funds that pay interest, and the list goes on. Many physicians do consultant work or paid speaking work, and this could be another source of income. Expert witness work is another lucrative side gig. Don't let the media touting of gloom and doom get you down on your finances. The best thing you can do now is keep investing yourself and your financial education. Take action on what you've learned to build a bright financial future. Turn your high income into wealth for you and your family. Take one thing that you learned from this podcast episode and apply it to your life. I'd love to hear what action you've taken. Let me know by emailing me at growyourwealthymindset at gmail.com. Have a terrific week and thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And now for the disclaimer. 
I am not a certified financial planner, accountant, or attorney, and nothing I say should be construed as professional investment, tax, or legal advice. This show is primarily for your education and entertainment. I am a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please contact your own physician. Thank you.